right. Good morning. What's up, everybody? You guys doing all right today? All right, turn your neighbor, punch him in the arm, and say, get ready for the word. Punch him back. Harder. <laughs> Good to see you. We're not violent, I promise. Started a series last week on the subject of being overwhelmed. And I'm so thankful for that word. God helped us, I think, address what a lot of people are dealing with. And we're continuing that series. And last week we talked about our thoughts and how so many times our thoughts can consume us. And because our thoughts consume us, a lot of times they wind up dictating a lot of our actions, our lives, the things that we do in life. Being controlled by thoughts of different things. There was a couple, they were struggling in their marriage because they were a house divided. Uh, the wife was a Razorback fan, but the husband was an LSU fan. And this was a problem. <laughs> I love that, like on cue, like we practice. And so the, the husband, being a Cajun, he wasn't sure what to do, but he went to the doctor. And he said, doctor, you got to help me because my wife, uh, she, she's not going to put up with this anymore. But I'm just, I love LSU. I love the Tigers so much. And I just don't know what to do. He said, well, in my experience with a Cajun, the only way to help them with their issue of liking LSU is you actually have to remove the parts of the brain that are a fan of LSU. We're going to have to do surgery. And, uh, and in my experience, sometimes it's, it's up to half of the brain that has to be removed in order to remove all of the like of LSU that there might be there. And so the husband was desperate. He wanted his marriage to be strong again. And so he agreed to allow this procedure to happen. So he went through the procedure and in recovery, the doctor came into the room to, to update him on how everything went. And the doctor was communicating with him. He said, well, the good news is we are able to remove everything that is in you that likes LSU, all of it. The problem is we had to take a little bit more out than we thought we had to originally. And now there's only about a quarter of your brain left. And we're sorry about that, but we are happy to say that you will no longer struggle with liking LSU. Do you have any thoughts, anything you'd like to share? The husband with a blank stare looked back at him and said, roll tide. <laughs> yeah. Quarter of a brain. Anyway. <laughs> Nobody can take that personally from a guy from Colorado. I don't I have a dog in the fight. Go Broncos. Matthew 11. Let's look at this verse together. Then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden given to you is light. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. One of the most common complaints that people have in our culture is that they feel overwhelmed. They feel overwhelmed in life. They feel overwhelmed in a lot of different areas. I think it's because we're in such a hurry. There's so much happening around us. And you ever just felt frantic before? 
just because you had so much going on and so many things to get to, your schedule was just so full, you just felt frantic. A few days ago, I called, I, 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 was, I was missing my phone. I couldn't find my phone. I was, I was freaking out, and so I'm looking everywhere, and I, I can't find it. And so I called Cody. to ask her if she knew where my phone was. <laughs> Thankfully, it only rang twice before I realized what I was doing and I hung up and I don't, this is the first she's heard about it. So, but we can get to a place where we're so consumed with the busyness, the craziness of life that we get overwhelmed. We pack more into our schedule than any other culture on the planet. And, and, and we're obsessed with going even faster. I mean, think about this. We, we buy things around us just because they sound fast. We ship packages with Federal Express, which is an oxymoron if you think about it. Federal and fast, it's just probably not going to happen. We have cell phone service to make long-distance phone calls with companies called Sprint. We balance our checkbook with Quicken. We diet with Slim Fast. All these things. Some of you this next summer will wear swimsuits called Speedos. No? Just Jarrett? Okay, well, I, I wasn't sure if there was more of you. Oh, that's fun. There really is a lot to feel overwhelmed about because there's really too much going on in our world. That there's too much information, too many emails, too much news. There's a lot of news that we shouldn't even be consumed with, but we're consumed with it because we have access to it. Too many decisions to be made too many options for toothpaste. Come on, people. Like, when I go to the grocery store to pick out toothpaste, I want basically two options. And then what size? There are 150 different options for toothpaste and deodorant. I get stressed out just standing there in the aisle trying to figure out what I'm going to do. There's just too many options that we can get consumed with. A lot of people get overwhelmed by debt. I'm never going to get out of debt. Never going to pay off these student loans. I'm never going to be able to get to a place where I can get ahead. A lot of people are overwhelmed by work. Man, it just doesn't seem how hard I work. I'm, I'm still behind. I can't make the deadlines. I can't make the quotas. I'm overwhelmed. Some people get overwhelmed by regret. They're overwhelmed by, by shame. They're overwhelmed by guilt. Some people are overwhelmed by worry. Just what if? The what ifs in life. A lot of people are overwhelmed by insecurity. And the more insecure you get, the more you want to control things. And the more you want to control things, the more overwhelmed you get because that's a lot to control. Some people are overwhelmed by insecurity. Some people are overwhelmed by loneliness. Just feeling like nobody really is there for them or cares about them. Some people are overwhelmed by grief. I get that. We've had people in our family 
in our church recently that have been walking through that, feeling overwhelmed by grief, by loss. You can feel overwhelmed by anger. I've seen you on the road. I want to talk to you about two major weapons of self-destruction. When you get overwhelmed in your life, the enemy is trying to allow two primary roots to be established in your soul. And I want to talk about those two roots. The first one is this, hopelessness. Hopelessness. That's the first root he's trying to get established. Here's the deal. You can go 40 days without food. You can go several days without water. Uh, You can go five minutes without air. You can go 53 years without a national championship. (laughs) A man had been married 50 years to his wife, and at their 50-year anniversary celebration, he was asked to give a speech, and so the man steps up and he says, well, we've we've been married for 50 years. But you know what? It's felt like five minutes underwater. (laughs) In your life, you can go without a lot of different things, but there's not one thing in your life you can go for very long without hope. Because anything in your life that goes for very long without hope begins to die, begins to wither. When you start to feel hopeless about anything, you get discouraged and you just want to give up. Let's just be honest. Have any of you ever felt like just giving up, just throwing in the towel ever before in your life? You just felt like, man, it's just too much. When you lose hope, you get to that place where you feel like giving up. It's hope that gives you energy to move forward. It's hope that gives you creativity. It's hope that helps you show up. It helps... You dream. It inspires you to have vision for your life. I believe that it motivates you to think about what could be. When you're hopeless, you fixate on the consequences of your problems. But when you have hope, you focus on solutions. What could be? When you lose hope, you also lose heart, and it's like nothing that you can try will ever work again. When you feel hopeless about your marriage, when you feel hopeless about getting married, when you feel hopeless about your job, your finances, when you feel hopeless about your health, those areas begin to die. They decay. This is what the word of God says about it. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Everybody say hope. Look, every time God shows up, he's always gonna bring hope with him. And that's the reason why every single week in my prayer for you is that you would just have an encounter with God, just a moment with God. They're not empty words. It's because I know that if you can encounter God, even for one moment, it doesn't matter how hopeless you feel, when you experience the presence of God, he always will bring hope for your life, no matter what you're going through. 
We need his hope. He turns faith from desperation. Hope turns into faith real fast in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, your language starts to change. The way you feel about things, the way you think about things begins to change. I think we can make it. I can get through this. Our child will return to us in Jesus' name. We can be healed. We can be whole. But hopeless is a seed that brings destruction. It's a root. Another one, bitterness. Bitterness. Now, some of you, you know that you're bitter about some things. You just haven't surrendered it. Some of you, you don't even realize that you're bitter, but you're bitter. What are some of the indications? Well, you have a tendency just to focus focus on everything that's negative around you. Negative around your job, negative around your family, negative around your marriage, negative around your church. You're keeping track and you're keeping score of the things that are going wrong instead of the things that are going right. You're a score taker. And you focus on all the weaknesses that are around you. And if you're in that place where all the weaknesses are glaring, you're dealing with a root of bitterness, even if you don't realize it. You're dealing with bitterness in your life. If you're slow to celebrate the wins in other people's lives or the wins in your life, there's a really good chance that you're struggling with some bitterness if you can't see the positive. Several years ago, when our church was first starting, we had a baptism service, and this young man was so excited about getting baptized, and so he invited his family to come in. Most of them didn't go to our church, and his mom was there. And so we went through the baptism service, and everything seemed to go really well. This young man got up, and and he got baptized, and everyone celebrated. But then after the baptism service, Pastor Rick got an email from this young man's mom. And in the email, she was really, really upset because she noticed in the video that she, they had taken of this young man getting baptized that when he got baptized, one of his ears did not go all the way under the water. And for her, that meant that he was not fully submerged and because he was not fully submerged in baptism, we had caused her son to stumble and he was probably going to go to hell. And so she was mad about this. So Pastor Rick emailed her back. He said, ma'am, I I just want to encourage you. I really don't believe that your son is going to go to hell. His ear will go to hell, but the rest of him is going to heaven. The the rest of him, he is sanctified. (laughs) He deleted that email. He didn't send it. But some of us are just focused on what's negative. A guy showed up to our church. He said, look, I can tell you guys have a lot of people encouraging everything that's going on around here. I just want you to know that God sent me to be your biggest critic just so we could keep things balanced. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that, we're, you're going to have a lot of friends here. It's going to be a blast to have you around. But he's obviously dealing with a root of bitterness. He's bitter for some reason. There's a friend of mine. I consider him a friend. And just a few months ago, man, he was, I don't think he's ever been saved. 
But a few months ago, he was open to it. We were having spiritual conversations. And then just recently, I've noticed that he has gone completely cold. His heart is completely callous. Almost to the point of mocking the things of God. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, what happened? Why are you bitter? Why is your heart callous towards the things of God? Because it doesn't even look like him anymore. I could see glimpses of who God truly created him to be. But this bitterness has completely deceived him. And it's changed him. You can either get better or you can get bitter with the things that happen to you in your life. You have a choice to make. And bitterness is like a cancer in your soul. It's a poison that kills you from the inside out. And bitterness is this incredibly destructive weapon that you use on yourself. Because bitterness will always more negatively affect you than it's going to affect anybody else around you. Although it does affect people's lives around you too. There's no value in holding a grudge. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. In the natural world, when you plant a tomato plant, well, a tomato plant takes root, and eventually it produces tomatoes. The problem with bitterness is you can never tell what kind of fruit it's going to produce because it produces fruit in different areas of your life. It'll produce fruit in your finances. It'll produce fruit in your relationships. It'll produce fruit in your work. It'll produce fruit somewhere when there's bitterness. It says that the root of bitterness, because of the root of bitterness, many become defiled, meaning this affects the people that are around you too, even when you don't intend for it to. Just after I graduated high school, I was... Actually, my, after my first year in Bible school, I went back down to visit my mom in San Antonio for the summer, and I, I was working for a, a window installation company. And uh, one day I was at the job, and the job foreman showed up and, and asked me if I wanted to go to him to the next job site. And this was kind of exciting for me because he drove the only truck with air conditioning. All the rest of the trucks, no AC, and when you're in San Antonio, you welcome any amount of AC that you can ever get because we're working outside installing windows. And so... I was like, that sounds great. I'll go with you. So I drop it, jump in the truck, and as we're driving down the road, enjoying the AC, things are going great. All of a sudden, this guy lights up a joint as we're driving down the road. And so he is just going to town on this joint, filling the cab with smoke. And so... I'm in a really awkward position because this guy is my boss. And so I'm hesitant to say anything, 
but I'm giving all the like nonverbal cues that I'm not really caring for it, a lot of obnoxious coughing and things like that. He doesn't care. He's very relaxed. <laughs> and so I cracked the window just a little bit just so I could get a little bit of fresh air. He gives me a look like, what are you doing? You're letting all the AC out. I'm like, I'm trying to let some of that fresh air in. And eventually we got to the place you're going. So part of it is I'm admitting to you that your pastor smoked pot at one point in his life, but I did not inhale, okay? <laughs> it wasn't my fault. The bigger problem was this. I had to go straight from work to go lead Bible study at the youth group. So I show up smelling like pot, and not good pot, like ditch weed, bad pot. Eyes a little dilated. Here to lead these students. What you don't understand is your bitterness is getting on other people, and there's innocent people around you they don't have any bitterness in you, in them, but because of your bitterness, you're changing who they are. Even though you don't realize it, you're beginning to plant a seed of bitterness in their life as well. Two things about bitterness. First of all, bitterness deceives you. Satan to Eve, that original sin, Deception always has a little bit of truth in it. Well, so what was the deception? The deception was this. The deception was that there was something that God had that he was not giving to Eve. So he told Eve, look, you could, you could be like God. But they were already like God, created in his image. He said, you could know good. They walked with God in the cool of the day. There's no better good than that. But he lied and deceived her into thinking, man, if you had this, God's holding out on you. Why is God holding out on you? Trying to get Eve to be bitter with God. Why? Because Satan was bitter. Why? Because he got kicked out of heaven. So he's bitter. He's bitter. Bitterness will deceive you into a place of making you to believe that somehow God is withholding his goodness from you. It's one of the primary things that bitterness will do is try to get you to a place where you will believe that there is somehow something better outside of God that you could get that he's withholding from you. Bitterness will deceive you. And here's the thing. The enemy has been doing this from the very beginning. The enemy has a tackle box of bait that he uses to try to get us to fall. And the bait of, of bitterness is one of the primary baits that he's used from the very beginning of time to try to get us to, to be bitter at God. It's the same play. A few years ago when Darren McFadden was still playing for the Razorbacks, we were playing against LSU. I don't know if you guys remember that game. It went into like triple overtime. But in that game, we started running the Wildcat offense and ran it for like an hour. Like I'm watching the game with a three-year-old and she's telling me what play's coming next because it was that obvious. 
Well, I want you to know that the play of the enemy is just like that. It's gonna be the same play over and over and over and over and over again in your life. And I promise you one of his greatest plays is bitterness and deceiving you that you should be bitter towards God because something that he had, he's not giving you. Also bitterness defiles. This word actually means to stain, to dye with another color. And bitterness will paint you into something that you were never created to be. Bitterness will cause one of the greatest identity crises in your life that you could ever experience. It'll take you away from your calling. It'll take you away from your gifting. It'll take you away from your ability to be effective for the things of God. In the Bible, in the book of Ruth, this woman named Naomi was a, in a really tough spot. She was a foreigner. She had to leave her land because of a, this huge drought, this famine that came, and she lost everything, lost family, lost everything that she had. And when she was in this process, she just, she said, I don't want to be called Naomi anymore. And Naomi actually means pleasant. That's what that name means. It means pleasant. She said, I don't want to be known as Naomi anymore. I want to be known as Mara, which means bitter. A root of bitterness caused her to question who God had created her to be and defiled her into being something that she was never meant to be. It changed her identity. Why? Why was she defiled? Because she felt like God could have done something to prevent this, and he didn't. Why didn't God prevent this? He could have. Why didn't he do it? In ministry, I've seen this time after time after time of people that have been defiled by bitterness, who they are, who God created them to be. Go from a place of joy, from a place of hope, just to something you don't even recognize anymore because they lost a child before their time. Because a sickness creeped in and took someone that they loved. Because they thought they heard from God to start this, bitter, this business, but then the business went bankrupt. And so they feel like, man, God could have done, God, you could have done something. Why didn't you do something? And then that seed of bitterness takes root and it defiles them. It changes who they are. In the Bible, when Jesus was on the cross, they offered him this sour wine and gall. In, in Psalms, it says that it is a bitter drink. What did Jesus do? Well, he tasted it, and then he refused it. He tasted it, but then he refused it. This is such a great picture. In your life, you will have lots of opportunities to taste bitterness, but you don't have to drink it. It doesn't have to become who you are. You'll taste it, but it doesn't have to become you. You have to trust and just like Jesus did, he went from a place of, this was the last temptation he faced. The last temptation that he faced is that he would allow bitterness into himself. 
And instead of that, he spoke forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you forgive and release a situation, a person, a hurt, a pain in your life, it rips the roots of that bitterness out of your heart. And too often what we do is we just kind of take a weed whacker (laughs) to that bitterness in our life. But guess what? It's going to come back up again. And it isn't until you deal with the root of it that it goes away. Until you forgive and release in that situation and in that place and in that person, until you make the decision to pull the root of that bitterness out of your life, it's going to remain there. A few days ago, I started seeing a root of bitterness come up in my son, Corbin. And I knew some of it was my fault because I've been really harsh on him in a couple instances. Because he kept doing the same thing over and over again. And I couldn't figure out how to get it into him that until he changed the behavior, he, things were just gonna get worse for him. And so in desperation, I was too harsh. I was mean. And over the next couple of days, I started to see that he didn't wanna be near me. He didn't wanna touch me. He didn't want me to touch him. He didn't want me to talk to him. I started seeing bitterness. So a couple days ago, after he had gotten in trouble, again, I just made the decision just to go sit with him in his room. Just to spend time around him. And, uh, and the thing was, he was still kind of cold to me and I wasn't gonna try to force the issue, but I just wanted him to know that I do love him and I love him way bigger than his mistakes. I love him way bigger than the issues that he struggles with. And just that amount of time with him, it helped change him. And then the next thing that I can do is point him towards Jesus. I have to point him towards Jesus. And I believe some of you need a little bit of time around your father this morning. Allow him to identify a root of bitterness that may be in your life allow him to take care of it. Anytime you have an experience with God, anytime there's going to be healing or there's going to be change, it's always two parts. There's your part. Last week we talked about that. We talked about your part with your thoughts, how you take them captive. You apply the word of God to them. You have a choice in what happens in your mind and with your thoughts. There's your part, but then there's God's part. You have to let God's part happen. You have to let God's part happen if you want to get healed. And I want to give a chance for that to happen this morning. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. First thing I want to do, if there's anyone here that's never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship with him, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today, and you would say that you need Jesus. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I want you just to be bold enough 
to say that's me. If that's you, would you please put your hand up right now? I just want to pray with you. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Anybody in this room, I need Jesus this morning. I need a relationship with him. Got it. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Got it. Got you, bud. Anybody else? Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus. I saw you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Got you. Anybody else? Got it, bro. Thanks, man. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, for those folks that just raise your hand, God, God has to be in control. Jesus has to be Lord for healing to happen. So it starts there. It starts with you just submitting to God. You just talk to him right there in your seat. Just say, God, here's my life. I know I've sinned, but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I just ask for your forgiveness for my sin. And and I invite you to, to come into my life and be my Lord. I want you to have control. I want to live for you. I want to live according to your word. Give me a new life in you. For anybody in this room that you know that you've struggled, you're struggling with being overwhelmed and it's caused some hopelessness inside of you. It's caused some bitterness inside of you. It's a root that's in your life. Would you be bold enough just to raise your hand right now just to confess that before your heavenly father? I think even you just admitting it with an act of your hand. Come on, put your hands up and keep them up. That's me. It's me. I've allowed some bitterness into my heart. There's a root of bitterness in me. Okay, let's all stand together. I want us to stand together. The prayer team's gonna come down here. What we're gonna do, I wanna wanna pass you a little bit on, on what I do. What I do when I'm struggling in this place where I can see that there's some hopelessness that's creeping in, there might be some bitterness that's creeping in. I think there's some some steps that you take to get into the presence of God. One of the things I do is I have to lift my eyes and what that means is I just, I put myself in a position where I recognize that where my heart is at is not where God wants it to be. Uh, Sometimes I literally just look up to the heavens. I just look up to God, I quit looking at the situation and the circumstance, I make the decision to put my eyes where my hope comes from. I put my eyes on him. So I lift my eyes. I lift my heart. And one of the best ways to do that is through scripture. And I love to read the Psalms because David in the Psalms, he's constantly lifting his heart before God, lifting his heart saying, God, I need you. I need you, I lift my heart to you, God. I lift my voice, I lift my worship. I reestablish through my words, who is the Lord of my life, who has control, that I'm not gonna let a root of bitterness, I'm not gonna live in a place where I have no hope, I'm gonna live in a place where God is in control. I'm gonna live in a place where I'm gonna stand on his truth. And I lift my prayers, I lift my eyes, I lift my heart, I lift my voice and I talk to God. I want everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads. I just want to read some scripture over you. 
And here in a second, we're gonna apply this. We're gonna have an opportunity. I just want you to apply this in your life. For you to lift your eyes, lift your heart, lift your voice, lift your prayer. And some of you, you can't do this on your own and you may need some backup. And I encourage you, as soon as we start singing this next song, you make your way down here. You get in front of one of these people that are gonna believe in faith with you that whatever the root is that is in your life, that you're gonna receive healing today in Jesus' name. Let me read this over you. Psalm 46, one through three. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. When earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea, let the oceans roar and foam, let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. In Psalm 16, eight. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Psalm 119, 114, you are my refuge and shield. Your word is my source of hope. Psalm 119, 50, your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. Psalm 121, I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. God, for every heart, for every life, for every person, God, that is in a place of hopelessness, that's in a place of struggling with bitterness, we cry out to you. God, let our voices rise from this place to a righteous and holy God who is faithful to draw near when we draw near to you. I pray in Jesus' name as we worship you now, as we worship you in spirit and truth, that you break and that you remove the roots of bitterness and hopelessness out of every person in this room. That you give some of us the boldness to remove ourselves from our seats, to come to your altar with boldness and to receive your healing. Move in this place, Spirit of the living God, in Jesus' name. Amen, let's worship him.